Church, on this morning, it's good to be with you as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, I want to reiterate, we're not here because of tradition. We're not here because it's just what we do on Easter Sunday. We are gathered here because we believe that Jesus really came back from the dead, and that changes everything. Before we spend time continuing to worship him by looking at the word, I'm going to ask, take a moment to pray with me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, God, I'm not ashamed to say that I need you. And we're also not ashamed to say that we want you. God, we, we want you to be present with us. We, we're here because we want to hear from you through your word. God, we're here we, because we believe that you alone are worthy of worship and praise. God, you are worthy of everything. So God, I'm praying right now as we continue to worship by looking at the word. God, would you help me to teach? God, I'm praying you would, you would help me to teach by the power of your spirit. I don't want to be up here on my own. I want to be faithful to your word and to your calling, and I pray you would help me to do that. Give me words uh, that are beyond me and give me a skill that I, don't, that I don't have. God, I pray for each one of us. God, would you help us to hear? Give us ears to hear what you would say to us. I pray we wouldn't just observe or watch. God, I pray we would try to meet with you, that we would seek to hear from you. God, I pray that our hearts would be stirred and moved by the Spirit among us and that we would leave here loving you and knowing you better and worshiping you with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. God, we pray this would be all about you. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if I've gotten to meet all of you, but my name is Faiz Ayub. I'm the lead pastor here at North Florida Baptist Church. And I have the privilege of having the weirdest name of any pastor in the history of pastors. So uh, in case you didn't hear it right, I, I said it right. It's just that, it's that crazy. Um, but we're glad that you're here today. We're glad that you've joined us in worship and uh, as we were getting ready for Easter, I started thinking about a conversation I had years ago before I was a pastor. I was, I was working a job, and uh, at that job, I know it's shocking, pastors have jobs sometimes outside of church, but I, I was working a job, and as I was working this job, I was getting to know the people that I worked with, and uh, one of the girls, I, I think they found out I'd, I'd been to seminary, and I was living, I lived overseas to work with a missionary for a year, so she made it part of her agenda to try to give me a hard time. She was actually into witchcraft. And so we were in the break room one day having a conversation and I'll never forget, she goes, listen, do you, what's your favorite holiday? I know mine, it's Halloween. And I was like, Halloween? I didn't know how to respond to that. I was like, why in the world? I didn't know if she loved candy. At this point, I didn't know the whole witchcraft thing. And she goes, because anything is possible. Um, I don't know if this is the best response, but my response was, man, if you like that, wait till you find out about Easter. People come back from the dead on that day. Like, it's for real crazy intense. Um, I don't know if that was the best response, but the reality is I really do love Easter. I, I love it. I, I love what it says. I love what it means as I spend time chewing on the, the brutality and the love and mercy of Jesus going to the cross for us. I had to be honest, I feel loved, and I don't feel like I deserve it. When I think about the fact that he came back from the dead, I feel awe that he's big and he's strong. And sometimes I realize how cold my heart is to this massive, huge God that's bigger than death. Like I just, sometimes my heart feels cold and I feel needy for him. And listen, as, as we get ready to celebrate Easter, I begin to think about all the things that Easter means. All the power, all the strength, all the victory that we have over sin, all, all the things that he says that he does. And at times... I feel a little dissonance between the truth of the resurrection and my daily life. Something feels off, right? Sometimes I feel this like 
this disappointment that begins to sink into my heart. And, and before you freak out and say, what kind of church did I just step into? A pastor who gets disappointed in Easter. Listen, let me ask, have you ever felt that? Like I, I think I've felt that within myself. Like I, I will sit there and I, I will see sins that I struggle with and I'll ask this question. If, if God really came back from the dead, then why can't I beat that sin? Maybe you felt it in other ways. Maybe you felt in these moments as you feel life just weighing in on you or you feel like your marriage is crumbling or your kids are losing their ever-living mind or you feel like you're losing your ever-living mind and you say, man, if, if God brought Jesus back from the dead, why does this feel so hard to me? Why does it feel so difficult or, or even worse? Maybe sometimes I feel it at church. I said it, I said it out loud. At times we go to church and there's something that you... You look around and something feels plastic and um, rehearsed. The, the performance doesn't quite feel authentic enough. And I begin to ask the question, did Jesus really come and die on the cross and come back to life to make that? Or, or even worse, maybe you've experienced the darkness of the church. Where, where the church is the place you've experienced the darkest wounds You've, you haven't experienced what the church is supposed to be, a place of power and grace and mercy and love and acceptance and kindness. You've experienced judgment and oppression, maybe even abuse. And man, it, it, if that's you at here at all here today, I, I just want to tell you a few things. One, that's not the way Jesus intended his church to operate. And if you're here today and you've experienced harm at the hands of the church, You've experienced disappointment with the people of the church. You, you've experienced fakeness in the service of the church. I just want to say, listen, I'm really glad that you gave us a chance today. Thank you for being here. And I also want to say this. Uh, will you forgive us? I, I'm asking, would you forgive us for the times that the church has failed you? And I, listen, I'm sure I add plenty to that list of things, but, but I don't want you to walk away from Jesus because the church has missed the point. So I'm glad that you're here, and I, I pray that you would be able to forgive us and you would be able to engage Jesus for who he is despite our weaknesses and failures as followers of Jesus. And church, I think we can do better. And I'm praying that we can be a people that do better. And as we hop into our passage today, I want us to see the way Jesus deals with people who are wounded or struggling or kind of limping along in their faith. So would you please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, uh, we're going to be spending some time looking at, I think it's a really famous passage as part of the resurrection. And as you're turning in Luke chapter 24, let me give you some background. Uh, Jesus was crucified in the previous chapter. Uh, on Thursday night, his disciples were with him praying. Judas betrayed him, and they all tucked, tailed, and ran um, and hid. Jesus gets an unjust trial. He's crucified. And here's these disciples who two days before were saying, Jesus, I will stay with you to the end, even if it costs me my life. And then what do they do? They do the exact opposite of that. It gets too scary, too difficult. They tuck tail and run. And so here these disciples are. They had all these dreams and hopes. They had these dreams that God was going to come and set up his kingdom. They were under Roman oppression. 
Like if you've ever been in a place where there's actual oppression, listen, you know it. And when someone shows up promising deliverance from oppression, it makes you really happy. It makes this hope for freedom. You want to see it all go away. And Jesus is saying they think he's coming back to set up his kingdom. And that means the Romans don't get to own them anymore and dominate them anymore and abuse them anymore. And then in a moment, in a moment, all those hopes and dreams are smashed to teeny tiny little bits by the very people who are oppressing them. I got, that feels hopeless. It's not just that their dreams of a future are gone. They're looking at themselves and they see how bad they really are. And so their view of themselves just got a whole lot lower. They realized how weak they are and how cowardly they are and how quick to run away they are. It doesn't feel good. Now my hopes and dreams are dashed, and now my view of myself is totally destroyed. Y'all ever felt that? If you haven't, listen, I can tell you some of my life, and you'll see why I've felt it before. Or, or maybe worse, it's not just the hopes and dreams are destroyed and their egos are bruised. Their best friend just got murdered in front of their very eyes by injustice and cruelty. So they're grieving they're suffering, they're, they're dealing with all the things they, they've got to deal with. And all of a sudden, Luke chapter 24, these guys are in this room and boom, these ladies bust in and they're saying, listen, Jesus is back from the dead, we saw him, blah, 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 blah. They're talking over the place, like, what are you talking about? Like, that man died three days ago, don't talk crazy. Like, they don't even hardly believe it, except for Peter and John go look at the tomb. And meanwhile, while they're trying to sort out all this chaos about a tomb that's empty and guards that are gone and angels are appearing, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, these two guys show up from a road. They were, they've been walking to Emmaus and they met Jesus. Y'all know that story? They, they didn't recognize him at first and they're walking with him and he's explaining the Bible and they're like, dude, this guy is killer. He knows the Bible. And then they sit down to eat and he breaks bread and they're like, it's Jesus. Boom, he's gone. And they're like, we gotta go tell people. So here's where, that's where we pick up. Luke chapter 24, verse 33. And here's what happened. And they rose, these guys that were on that road to Emmaus, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. And here's what they're all saying. The Lord has risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon. That's awesome. It's Peter. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, now listen, here, here's what I love about this. These guys show up and like, you guys aren't going to believe it. Like, no, no, we do believe it. Jesus is back from the dead. The ladies saw him. Peter saw him. He's really alive. And they're like, listen, that's exactly, we just bumped into him in Emmaus. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, so they're all excited and thrilled about that. And I, just, I just want to hit pause. There's one line in there that stood out to me. Verse 34, he said this. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Man, I want you to see what happens here. He, he shows up of all people, of all the disciples who he's going to pick, he picks the one guy. You remember this moment? The one guy that denied him three times. He picks the one guy that pulled out a sword and tried to cut off the ear and then he tucked tailed and run. He picks the one guy that probably blew it worse than anyone else apart from Judas. And he says, let me tell you who I want to see first. Peter. Listen, you see how kind Jesus is to those who struggle and have failed? You see how patient and caring he is for Peter? 
Again, I don't want you to picture a scene like I think what we might experience in the church sometime. Uh, I don't want you to picture a scene where someone's saying, Peter, dadgummit, Peter, didn't I tell you you were going to do this? I told you. All right, this is your 12th chance. Don't blow it again because 13 is a really unlucky number and I will drop an ever-living hammer on your head. Now he, he picks Peter. One of our church members, uh, Brent Hill, he tells me that a pastor he had before they were here and his pastor would repeatedly say, we don't shoot our wounded. Man, sometimes it can feel like when you're struggling with sin or you're wounded or you've been tripping all over yourself, the church can be a place that really does shoot you while you're down or kick you in the teeth when you, what you need is a hug. And, and I can't help but ask this question. What would happen to Peter today if he showed up in the church, struggling Peter who just denied Jesus and fell as bad as he can fall, what, what kind of response would he get from the church as he's limping along and trying to figure out how to do all this? I, I get afraid sometimes maybe he might get treated like a dog that's made an accident in the living room. You get over here right now. Look at what you did. Maybe you rub their nose in it. You ever experienced that at church? Maybe you're afraid you'll experience that at church? Or maybe that's not the experience you're afraid you'll get at church. Maybe it's, it's not that we're going to rub your nose in it and just pile up the shame on top of you. Maybe, just, just maybe what you're afraid of is the judgment that doesn't ever go away. You know what I mean? It's like that gossip train. Tallahassee's really good at gossip, in case you didn't know that. Uh, we, we're a really good gossip town, man. We know who did what. Like, have you heard about so-and-so? Like, like, and then to think about showing up at the church, and you're at the church, and now they know what you did. That's a nightmare. And you're thinking, here's what's going to happen to me at the church. I know what will happen to me. It's not just the gossip train for a few weeks or a few months. I get labeled with that label from now until the day I die. And I will always be the person that did blank. Don't ever let me outgrow it. I'll always be that stupid kid to them. I'll always be that sinful adult. I'll always be that person that's got divorced or had the affair or got addicted to drugs or whatever the thing is. I'll always be blank. And your new identity in that church from now until forever is the person that did this. Man. And yet Jesus shows up to find Peter and he brings him back. I think he was gentle with Peter. I think he was kind with Peter. And I think it set Peter's heart on fire. Church, well, what would it be like if Jesus' people were the ones that when you stumbled and tripped and fell, you came to be with his people and you got mercy and understanding and grace and a chance to start new? What would it be like if we were a people that actually believed in the resurrection and applied it to the people around us? What if we were actually Jesus' people to those among us who were wounded. I can't even imagine the impact the church would have. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. You guys remember that story, right? The prodigal son, he like burns his dad big time, takes a ton of his money, spends it living the party life, and then he's like, what am I doing? He says, I'm, I'm gonna go back to my father, and all I wanna be, I don't wanna be a son, I can't be a son. All I wanna be is if he'll just let me be a servant in his house. I just want some food, man. That's, that's all. I don't even know if I'm worthy to ask him that. So he shows back up. And he's got this speech with her. Shall I remember this? He says, Dad, I've sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I just want to be. And his dad is like, zip it. That's stop. Over here. Everyone. Over here. I need a party. 
I need clothes for this kid. Put the ring on that boy. He's part of the family. That kid's an heir. I won't hear it. I'm not going to hear this servant talk. You're my son. And he has a crazy epic party for his son that blew it big time. What if? What if the church was Jesus' people that lived that out all the time and the people around us knew it and experienced it and tasted it? That's what the church is supposed to That's what the resurrection does. What Jesus does at the resurrection is he goes finds the biggest loser and says, I want you. That's good news for me today, man. He didn't go find the rock star. He didn't say, man, who's my most epic genius he didn't even go to John, the disciple that hung out the whole time and took care of his mom. He didn't go after the good kid. He went after Peter. You guys, he went after you like that. He didn't go after you because you performed. He didn't go after you because you were good. He went after you because he loves you. And he said, I want that one as part of my family. I want you. That's what he says. That's what the resurrection says to every man, woman, and child in this room. He wants you. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your upbringing. Matters that he's gracious and merciful. He wants you. But there's more. Now we're just a little bit there. There's other disciples that are struggling. So here's Peter. He's just like, I can't believe he was this kind. He's probably rehearsing the story. Yeah, he said this to me and he said this to me. And while they're still talking, verse 36 says this in Luke 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Now, I, listen, you, you gotta, I gotta paint this picture, right? Like, peace to you, that's, I mean, that's nice and all. This is what that's like. If I had a magic power where I could just poof, appear into a room where y'all are hanging out, th this, is, this is what just happened, poof, don't freak out, <laughs> okay? Like, that's, like, it, don't picture peace to you. This is, this is not that scene. This is chaos, okay? Just, if a dude appears right here, the first thing, calm down, all right? That's what this is, because the disciples are not like, oh, hey, what's up, Jesus? Glad you're here. Look at what they do in the very next verse. It is straight chaos in this room. And they believe that Jesus came back from the dead, but their belief just turned into sight, and that is way more than they can handle. Verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost for regular people talk, right? Like, this is that scene, you're at the table, poof, don't freak out. And their like, chairs are gone. They're back up against the wall. Like, what, uh, who do we call right now? Like, Ghostbusters. Sorry, that was a 1980s joke. Shouldn't have added that in there. Don't ever. <laughs> okay, let me keep going. Um, so here they are. They're freaking out. They think there's a ghost in the room. I mean, they just said, yeah, he's alive. And then he shows up, and they're like, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Oh, my goodness, it's a ghost. Like, they're freaking out. And look at what Jesus does to, with their doubts. I, I want you to see how he treats those who are doubting and struggling here. He says this, verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? Look, it's, that is I myself. Touch me. Come here. Touch me. See, look at me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Let them do it. He let them touch him. Yeah, come on, check it out. Let me show you right there. Show you right there. Right there. Come here. I'm real. Get, get over here. 
Don't be against the wall. Don't be distant. Don't be freaked out. Get over here, guys. He invites them in. I just, you know what I love about this? He doesn't even stop there. They're still like freaking out. Look at verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy, except that moment you're like, dude, is this a dream? Like I'm totally freaking out here right now. What did Peter put in the hummus? I don't understand. Like, There's no way this is real. Like, They're disbelieving for joy. And they're marveling. Hey, okay, let me help you guys. You got any food? Give him fish and he eats it. He took it and ate it right in front of him. Why? Not because he was hungry. He's like, I'm trying to help you guys out here. Watch. I can eat the food. It doesn't fall through me. I'm not a ghost. I'm real. And I'm alive. And I'm here with you right now in this moment. I, Here's what I love about this. I, I love the fact that when Jesus sees their doubts, he just gets it all out there. On, he doesn't go, he doesn't pretend they're not doubting. He doesn't go, you idiot, stop being so stubborn. He's like, hey, hey, it's okay, calm down. <laughs> I'm here. I, I know you're doubting. I'm just telling you, look at me. Touch me. Give me food, give me food. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna eat the food. Do you believe me now? You see how gentle and kind he is with their doubts? Church, sometimes I, I think uh, when people have real questions and doubts, do you know how the church can tend to respond sometimes? I don't know if you've experienced this. You're not allowed to say the doubts out loud. Like, hey, you stop being so rebellious. Don't be stupid, man. Don't ask that question. Have you experienced that at church? Anybody? Okay, the four of us in here who have... Um, Thank you for the four of you identifying that with me. I don't feel like a lunatic anymore. Now, I think there's something at times that we're afraid of people's real questions. Because I don't know if we're afraid that if they say the doubt out loud, it's going to spread everywhere. As if Jesus doesn't have real answers for our questions. As if he's like, oh my goodness, hey, God, I don't know what, Father, I don't know what to do. They're asking questions down there. What do we do? I don't have a good answer. You got a good answer? Is, is that what God's up in heaven doing every time someone has a question or a doubt? No, he's got answers because he's real and he really came back from the dead. There, there are reasonable answers to the questions that people have. And I think sometimes we literally crush the questions because we don't want to allow people to struggle and have doubts. Listen, let me tell you a story. I mentioned I lived for a year in Australia working with a missionary. Uh, well, one of the things I did there, I did a couple things while I was there. Uh, when, when you do what I did, you're doing everything from cleaning toilets to doing kids ministry to being the youth pastor. So I, I'm being the youth pastor. It's one of the things that I do. And they've got these teenagers that show up. And one of the kids decided to bring their friend. And I didn't know their friend. Uh, I barely spoke the language. That's a joke, by the way. They speak English in Australia. Um, and so I'm teaching the Bible. I'm teaching this Bible lesson. And in the middle of the lesson, this kid is just straight up interrupting. Like, he's like, hey, hey, hey. You don't actually believe that Jesus was a real historical figure, do you? Like, oh, okay, we're, man, I'm just trying to read the Gospels and, uh, all right, buddy, like, I don't know what to do with this. But he keeps doing it the whole time. He's just firing it out there. He's being aggressive. I'm not going to lie to you. He's, being, he's been a little chippy. And so, I mean, it's not like I've got thousands of people in the room. I've just got, you know, the, the 20 kids that are there. So I just start the conversation right there. I'm like, well, no, I do believe. And so I start giving them answers. What do you think about this? And we literally have the conversation in front of all the students. I don't really care. I'm like, he's got a question. Let's answer that question. So we just kept doing it. And so... Uh, what ended up happening, uh, we started meeting and having conversations for several weeks. And after a few weeks, uh, his name was Alan. Alan got saved. Uh, it was this really powerful moment. And, and here was the conversation that Alan had. 
he, he had stopped going to church, and his friend invited him to church just because he was hoping that uh, Alan would give it a chance. And Alan was upset because at every church he'd gone to, he tried to ask questions. And do you know what the pastors would do? Don't be an idiot, man. Just stop being a stubborn jerk. Just believe in Jesus or get out. That was basically it. You're an idiot if you like those questions. And here's what Alan thought. Well, man, they're pretty, pretty scared about a few questions. It must not be true. And the fact that I would just listen to his question, and if I didn't have the answer, I would say, all right, I'm about to figure this out. I'm going to go study and come back. And we would talk about it. And listen, I'm not saying my answers were the best. But I didn't dismiss his questions as stupid or ignorant. I, I listened and I, I answered. And I, I do believe that's exactly what Jesus would do. And I think that's what the church should do. He's not afraid of our questions. And we should not be afraid of people's questions either. It, and you might be nervous. I don't know the answer. If you don't know the answer, fine. Say, I don't know. Go study. Figure it out. Like, but, but I don't think that we need to keep pushing people's questions down. When people are struggling with doubt, we need to be gentle. When people are struggling with doubt and have questions, we need to be calm and answer those questions. But, but let me just tell you this. What these disciples needed was way more than some gentleness and some answered questions because they, Jesus can always answer questions. We have a bigger problem than that because what they needed was a change that had to happen in them. I want you to see what Jesus does next. Because he didn't just stop there and just say, hey, man, I'm just going to go ahead and move on here. And that's all you guys need. I've been nice to Peter. I showed you myself. I'm going to disappear now. Look at what Jesus does. Because he keeps dealing with their doubts in a very unique way here. Verse 44. Then he says this. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Here's what he said. He goes, guys, I told you about this. Over and over and over again, I... I told you about this. I've been teaching you this for three years. That The Bible says, the whole Old Testament says, I'm going to come and I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life for the forgiveness of sins. This is the message I've been telling you. And look at what he does there in verse 45, the very next thing. He said, I've been telling you this. He doesn't give them another lesson. They need something bigger than that. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Here's what that means. These disciples had a much bigger problem than that Jesus wasn't nice enough to them or that they didn't see him after he came back from the dead. Like The problem they had was that Jesus had been teaching and they'd been missing it for three years. Why did they miss it? Were they stupid? Were they just like, man, Jesus picked the dumbest of the dumb to walk with him. He can say it over and over and over again. But it was more than that because they, they didn't just miss it. They actually fought against it. There's a point when Jesus, teach, or Peter, or Jesus is teaching them, you know what, I'm going to die and come back to life. And Peter is like, hey, come here, I need to talk to you for a second. What are you talking about, this die and come back to life? Stop it. Don't tell people that. Y'all remember that story? Like, they didn't just ignore it. They actively rejected what Jesus was teaching them. What was their problem? Did they need a better lesson from Jesus? Did they need him to sit down and explain it all over again? Did, did they need a better illustration? Maybe Jesus needed to perfect his form of teaching so it would really stick inside their brain. No, that's not what they needed. What they needed is they worked from the outside on the inside that helped them hear it. Let me, let me read this verse to you. Would you flip over to Matthew chapter 13? Because I think the disciples' problem is the same problem that we all have. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is talking about why some people aren't understanding what he's teaching. And in verse 14, Matthew 13, 14, he says this. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. 
For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely see, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Okay, that's a, a lot of verses. Let me just say what he said. He said, listen, you don't understand. Let me tell you why you don't understand, why you don't get it. Because you need a brand new heart. You need ears that don't just hear. You need to work in your heart so that when you hear it, you understand it. You need eyes that don't just see it, that you see it and there's a work in your heart that you understand it. You need a heart that is brand new, that gives you ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that wants to actually understand and know and obey and worship Jesus. And what he did in this moment for these disciples is he didn't give them another lesson, he gave them new hearts. That's the work of the Spirit. That's, that's the promise that God gives us. And I want you to hear this this Sunday morning because here's what's going on in, in my head. I'm afraid that the church has done a disservice to people in churches all over the country. Here's the disservice I believe we've done. Especially if you've grown up in church, you're here on Easter, you may have gone to Christian school and you know a lot of Bible facts. You've heard a ton of sermons. You can't remember the last time you heard a sermon where the pastor said something new. It's like, oh, I've heard that one. You even know the jokes the pastors say. You know the illustrations, because we just pass around the same illustrations over and over and over again. But the question is not whether or not you know the right facts and know the good stories. The question is not whether or not you can articulate the deep truths of God and right doctrines. That's not the question. Here's the question. When was the last time your heart burned when you read the Bible? When was the last time you actually wanted to read the Bible. That, that's the question for us. I think the mistake we've made is we've given you a pass for good behavior. If you look the part, if you act the part, if you talk the part, if you dress the part, if by your own self-will and self-discipline you're able to show up and look just like a Christian should look, we give you a pass and we don't care if your heart is ice. We don't care if your heart is stone. We care that your behavior looks right. That your appearance is appropriate. And listen, this totally shatters that because that is not the standard of God. His standard is a new heart. His gospel gives a new heart, not new clothes. He gives you a new inside, not a new outside until the resurrection. His goal for you is not behavior modification. It's complete change from the inside out. And what these disciples needed was not a better lesson, or a better illustration, or a miraculous Jesus standing in front of them, they still needed a brand new heart. And church, I, I want to challenge you. I pray you would hear this this morning. For some of you, I just described you. You've been in church your whole life. You know all the stories. Listen, you've prayed a prayer, but your heart has never burned. You, there's never been a longing for him. There's nothing new in you. There's never been a moment you were reading the Bible and you just felt things clicking inside your head. Listen, I'm trying to do you a favor here. And that favor is you may be much further away from Jesus than you even realize. You may be way far away from Jesus. And if that's you here today, Jesus has a solution. His solution is not keep on performing, not do better, not turn over a new leaf. His solution is come to him and trust him, and he will give you a new heart. 
man, let's not be a people that just put on a performance. Let's be the real deal followers of Jesus. And that requires a heart that only Jesus can give. But I want you to see what else he does here. Because here's another way I think we've messed up the church. We've, We've made people plastic and fake and performance oriented. But look at what Jesus does next. He gives them a new heart. Verse 46, he gives them this crazy job. He says this, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Like, Listen, this is the message. Jesus is going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to come back to life. And if you will trust in him and his work on the cross, you'll be saved. And that message has to go to every man, woman, and child on the entire planet for every nation and for every generation. Verse 48. And you are witnesses of these things. Saying, listen, that message has to go out, and you're my dudes that are going to do it. (laughs) Right? I need you to think about that task of obedience that Jesus just gave these guys. Let me tell you what he does not want them to do. He does not want them to obey his command on their own strength. Because look at what he tells them to do next. Verse 49. And behold... I'm saying the promise of my Father upon you, that's the Holy Spirit, and just stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Here's here's God's plan. I'm giving you this huge job, and I want you to go and take the gospel to everyone on the entire planet, but don't do it in your own strength. Go wait, and I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to give you the Spirit so that you can actually obey me in the way that I want you to obey me. I I want you all to hear this and hear this very well. God does not want loveless, heartless obedience that's plugged in and powered by your own ability and strength. He wants us to obey on his power and his strength. And that might sound really deep for you, but my concern is that the goal for the church is that there's just more action. Some of you have felt this before. Like you felt it, that you, you come to church, and, okay, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to give 10%. I've got to serve. I've got to be in Sunday school. I've, I've got to, and there's a list of all these good things you're supposed to do. And here's what you do. You try doing them over and over and over again. Out of sheer duty and obligation, out of sheer self-discipline, you get up and you read the Bible, but it doesn't do anything in you. You get up and you go to church every Sunday, but You just do it because you're supposed to do it. You serve at church. You give 10% because that's what you're supposed to do. You pray. You give out tracts because that's what the pastor told me I'm supposed to do. And the whole time you're doing it on your own power, and it is wearing you out. You feel hollowed on the inside, lifeless and dead. That is not the way the gospel works. produces energy in us, and it is driving it, not us. Let me give you a story. I used to be a children's pastor. Apparently, I've had a whole bunch of jobs. Um, and when I was a children's pastor, and just for the record, craziest thing ever, I was a single guy, not married, no kids. They made me a children's pastor. I don't know what they were thinking, dude. I mean, I was like in my 20s. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, this is a bad idea, but you're older than me. I'm going to do it. So they make me a children's pastor, and I'm trying to find a way to do our VBS curriculum. And our VBS curriculum that year was the fruit of the Spirit, um, which, you know, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or something else. I might have missed a few. I should really look those up before I just start spouting them off. And uh, it's like all VBS curriculums. We've got a cute little craft where we're cutting out grapes and writing love, joy, peace, kindness. We've got the cute little hand motions that are 
less cool than what I just did somehow. It's all cheesy, right? Like it's the cool little Bible stories over and over and over and over again. Let me tell you the problem that that curriculum had. And I'm just going to be real critical, but we need to be critical like this. Here's what it was. First fruit of the Spirit, it's love, right? Love, yeah, love, okay? It's love. It's the very first fruit of the Spirit. So we set up this curriculum and we're telling the kids, listen, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So here's what I want you to do, little Billy and little Susie, whatever their kid's name, little Adib, we'll, we'll do that because that's the names in my house. Uh, rest of you got weird names like Bill, that's just odd. Okay, so little Bill, little Adib, little Susie, we want you to be really, really loving. And the kids are like, yes, I love being loving. It makes me feel good on the inside, right? And so then they go to be really, really loving. We say, okay, let's come up with that ways. How can you be really loving to your brother today? How can you be loving to your mom when you go home? I, I can say thank you. And they're like, yay. So the kids go home and they, they're really, really loving. And they come back like, how'd you do with being loving? Oh, I, I helped my mom pick up the house. I, gave my, I shared a tour with my brother. And we're like, yes, you just did it. You obeyed Jesus. You are more loving. Today is joy. How can you be joyful? What's something that makes you happy? And we go through all these things, right? And that might sound really good to you. Let me tell you the problem. Little Susie and little Billy and little Adib just learned something. They just learned that the way I obey God is all by myself. There was never a moment where they actually needed Jesus to do a work in their heart to make them loving. We took the standard of love and we made it so low that anybody can do it without Jesus. I can bring every pagan from anywhere in the world and say, be loving to your siblings. And they're like, okay, I'll do that. Does it require Jesus to be nice to your siblings? Well, depending on your siblings, uh, right? It, that doesn't require Jesus. That requires effort. We lower the standard so you can achieve it without Jesus so that mom feels better and the VBS workers feel better and little Billy feels better. Here's what we do to our kids. They grow up and they're in church all the time and they're doing better and better and better and better. Then they graduate high school and guess what they've learned? They learned not to drink, but they didn't need Jesus. They learned not to have sex, but they didn't need Jesus. They learned to be at church every Sunday, but they didn't need Jesus. They learned how to be really good, and Jesus was a prayer you prayed when you were five, and then a rededication when you were 13, but you didn't actually need them. They leave, and they go off to college and say, I've already done that Jesus thing. I was really good, and Jesus made me feel really better about if I die. But now, that's not as much fun anymore. Let me taste something else. And now what we've done is we've turned Billy and Susie into Christians that never needed Jesus to die on the cross. They've never needed resurrection power to help them do what they've got to do. That's not this. And some of you have been on that treadmill your whole life. You're running on that hamster wheel and you are exhausted because you've got no juice left in the tank. Here's what the resurrection says. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. i got a big job for you. You can't do it. You need me. Here's what we're doing to people in the church. Here's what I'm afraid of. We teach you that the outside matters more than a lifeless heart. And we teach you to obey, but you don't need the power of God to do it. And when we do that, we cut you off at the knees. And the church feels fake. The church feels plastic. The church feels oppressive. And you feel wore out. And I get why you would walk away from that. Because that's not Jesus. Jesus is this. You're broken. 
I'll fix you. You're dirty, I'll clean you. You're tired, hey, you come and get my rest and I will give you what you need. I got big things for you to do, but you can't do it on your own. Let me work in you. Let me work through you. Let me do the work. Church, my prayer for every single one of you here today is that you would have hearts that burn for Jesus, not by your own making, by his. That you would be able to obey by his power, not your own, but that we'd be a place that would know the grace, mercy, and power of Jesus that he offers at the resurrection. I pray that we would be Jesus people. In a moment, I'm going to walk us to a time of response. And I want to encourage you. Listen, that, that's a moment where you're going to ask God, hey, God, what did you, what did you say to me? What is it that I'm supposed to do in response to this? Is there something I'm supposed to repent of? And I want you to take these next few moments to do that. So would you please bow your head and close your eyes? I want to guide you in this time of response for a moment. What is it that God did in your heart this morning? Listen, for some of you, what you need today is you heard of the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and came back to life three days later. And what you need is you need to get saved. You seem to place your trust in him and say, Jesus, I don't want to do it on my own effort. I'm trusting in you. I need you to give me a new heart and a mind that can understand. I, I want to encourage you right in your seat just to ask him to save you. Some of you need to get off the treadmill of loveless performance. You need to stop that and you need to go to Jesus and ask him to give you the energy to obey him. You ask him to help you power it, not your own self-discipline. Repent of doing it on your own. Man, some of you, you come in here today and you're like, man, I'm going, I'm going there for Easter, but I've dropped the ball in so many ways. Man, if you feel dirty this morning, if you feel guilty this morning, I want to remind you of the gentleness of Jesus you may have failed but he wants to speak kindly to you and invite you to come closer if that's you today would you just lean in and let him be gentle with you listen some of you you need your questions answered listen, I just want to encourage you to confess your struggles to him and just man I would love all any of us would love to meet with you and we may not have all the answers, but we'll help you figure it out. Ask him to help you find the answers. He's not afraid of your questions. I mean, for some of you, this one is hard for me. Maybe you've been driving your kids toward the trap of religious duty or loveless obedience or just behavior modification or control, whatever it is. Would you just stop and ask God to help you go after their heart? Ask him to help you, to be used by you, to help them go to Jesus for heart change. Let's not push our kids away with goodness. Let's show them how much we need Jesus. Right in your seat, I also want to encourage you to do one other thing. Would you worship Jesus for being strong enough to defeat death and come back from the dead? In a moment, I'm going to pray. I want you to know at the end of our service, our pastors and decision counselors will be down front. If you'd love to speak to one of us, we'd love to talk to you because you may need more time to talk. If you're visiting, we'd love to meet you. 
In a moment, I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then we'll wrap up the service. I want you to know that we'll be available to talk as long as you want after this service. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, you alone are worthy. We believe you're kind and you're gentle when we're weak and failing. God, we're, we're grateful that you're stronger than our sin and you're stronger than our hard hearts. God, we believe that if you can bring Jesus back from the dead, you can give us brand new hearts and you can help us beat sin. God, some of us come in here feeling dirty and we just want to trust that you can clean us. We feel shame. We want to trust that you love us and that you want us to bring us in. God, some of us are just exhausted because we've been doing this on our own. We want to see your power at work in our hearts and lives. That's so God, I'm asking, would you do work in our hearts that we would know you and love you and rest in you? God, I pray you would make us Jesus people. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen.